when you start at the end and you're like, oh my God, how do we understand billions of chips at these tiny microstructures with thousands of layers? You're never going to really understand it. But if you start at the beginning and you'd be like, oh, this used to just be like this simple NPN gate and then we just made it way smaller. That is how you can like put it all together. Semiconductors. How does one learn about the industry? And what's it like making a living off of uh, creating content about it? To discuss, uh, we have on today Doug O'Loughlin of the Fabricated Knowledge Substack, as well as John, uh, who runs the Asianometry YouTube channel and newsletter. Welcome to Trans Talk YouTube. Um, how and why did you guys get into chips? Doug, it started with uh, TSMC. I wasn't necessarily interested in technology first. I wanted to learn about the history behind the technologies and how they came to, to be. And so a lot of actually, you know, some of the videos, uh, they, they come from a story approach of kind of what we see today, the technologies that we see today and the various parts of it. Uh, what was the kind of the, the timeline of technology adoption, uh, from those industries over time? And for that, that just made more interest. Uh, that was more interesting to me. And it got to the point where if you find three or four different things, like you learn about TSMC, you hear about UMC, you kind of, you go like, oh, that's really interesting. And you sort of add that to your little, to a list to do later. And then you go into UMC, you see Vanguard Semiconductor, and then you see um, C Group, and then you just, you start, blows up exponentially. And so, uh, you know, it's always, it's difficult, but over time you get, you get, you get to understand it more. So yeah, Doug, talk about sort of like, like leveling up knowledge and what was most in you most and least helpful for you on the process well um john has it exactly right in terms of history i think i think that's something that um made me a lot better at this and frankly uh, i was watching uh, i was watching some youtube videos by john I and mean, this is like before i remember when i first started watching his stuff i was like wow this is really well researched and stuff and i felt like um the context of history really makes everything um, more understandable. I was talking to someone, and um, he and this guy's you know CTO of like a, of a semiconductor company. He's like, I don't understand how any of this works if I don't understand how it worked in the beginning and how we got here. Because it, it using that context makes everything a lot easier to understand. Because once upon a time, everything was understandable in a human scale way, like the first chips at Intel, they were doing on, on like laptop, you know, they're doing on set top benches, like they're doing lithography, like everything was visible, like you, you could understand the, tr like what a transistor was being printed onto a chip, right? And like, you know, there was like, you know, there was like 35 or maybe a thousand transistors and like, you know, you maybe you couldn't see it, but you can understand it. And then, you know, fast forward at 30 years, that process is just scaled down infinitely. And so, you know, w when you start at the end and you're like, oh, my God, how do we understand billions of chips at these tiny microstructures with thousands of layers? You're never going to really understand it. But if you start at the beginning and you'd be like, oh, this used to just be like this simple NPN gate and then we just made it way smaller. That is how you can like put it all together. And so this, this applies to everything. Like this applies to packaging. I remember I learned, I finally understood testing and packaging after I read a book about Teradyne's history, um, or mostly testing, not packaging, but like 
almost everything is if you start in the very beginning, it's actually understandable. And then you, you know, when you, you can fast forward it like 40 years of progress and then it, it doesn't make any sense, but you're like, I kind of understand the basics and I kind of understand how they shrink it. Um, now I kind of have an understanding of what's going on today. So that, that history context is probably one of the most important things. And I think, um, for me, whenever I start a new new research project into one of the verticals, I do you know like I do try to like start with stuff that's relevant right now because to understand what why is it important right now. But almost always, I feel like the deeper understanding comes when I start to do the history. I think the the thing for for me when I was learning semiconductors is that I started with the history. I learn, uh, I try to, you know, just sort of like learning almost anything else that I did before was that I tried to pick out the things I understand and I take that and try to expand it, right? There's so much more within a single sentence that I want to learn. Right now, I think when I started out researching lithography, started researching, uh, you know, the sciences behind all these transistors and all these physics and stuff, like there's still so much I don't know, but it's just picking up things over time slowly and advancing and challenging myself as I got more advanced. So you start with like a scientific paper. At first, you might start with like an article or blog post. Then you go to scientific articles and then you go on to full-blown textbooks. And the more that you start seeing things repeat over and over time, over and over, you get a better understanding. Like right now I'm doing a video about a complete EUV system, uh, the history of the EUV development and like Half of the terms didn't make sense to me, but over time, as I made more and more videos about this EUV system, which are not popular, but like in the end, you finally get to the point where I, I feel like I kind of understand the whole, the whole concept of how this machine works. Um, it's, there's no kind of substitute for time and just brute effort. So Doug, a little while ago, you tweeted out sort of like your 10 favorite semiconductor books you put together a little syllabus you want to uh sort of highlight two or three that you think are particularly uh uh kind of interesting or, or or useful for folks trying to get up the curve yeah uh if we're going to do just two i think two's the uh, i would do and so like i would do one very core history because it really helps makers of the microchip or intel trendy they're kind of the same i think makers of the microchip is maybe better from a true historical perspective um, it's closer to a um, like a textbook about what exactly happened, and they go pretty in depth in terms of like, hey, this is the first transistor, this is the first like, this is the patent, like this is like you know this is the meeting versus Intel Trendy um, off uh, goes over a lot of the same things, but with a more with like a people first approach, and um, I would say it's not as intense into Fairchild, which really was the zero to one moment, but Intel, which is I would guess like the one to one hundred moment, Intel was the first truly. Uh, prolific, successful company in the industry. So I think those, either or is pretty good. Uh, honestly, both would be great, but um, choose one, uh, whatever feels great, great to you about that. Um, and then the other one I really like is Fabulous. Um, Fabulous, in my opinion, really, uh, uh, like when you read it, it's kind of, I was like, man, how did I not read this earlier? Because um, everything they talk about is essentially the current state of how things work. It's like an industry overview of of the way the world has come to be, and then also the the like the predictions in the last back half of the 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 the, the book. Like almost there's some. I mean, some of them didn't come true, but like some of them are so obvious and so true. There's like, 
oh, this advanced packaging thing is going to be a big deal. And like now all we do and care about is advanced packaging. Those two books, the one from the history and then one kind of um, explaining the entire Fabulous ecosystem, especially, you know, TSMC, the IP companies, the EDA guys. Um, those two, in my opinion, are like really the, the, the two foundational texts. And then, you know, if you want to go deeper, I personally, the way I like when I, when I try to do a big dive, I, I try to find the his, the, the oldest history textbook I can find about it. Oftentimes they can be really crappy. Like the Teradyne book was good, but maybe not great. Um, you know, the, uh, a TI book, uh, I found really useful actually when I, when I, when I did some work on TI. So just trying to find the, the, the most um, comprehensive history book about the company is always a great way to start. Um, if you're doing like an individual, uh, you know, dive. Yeah. I'll make a pitch for kind of a book that sort of gets you from fabulous to the present. Um, Chris Miller's chip wars. So what's the value of talking to people in the industry relative to just reading stuff on the internet? So I feel, I feel about this like two ways. Um, on one hand, if we're talking about the day-to-day -day newsletter, uh, in like the terms of mechanical content making, I find that oftentimes uh, I'm really trying to push things out on a schedule, and I don't let good be the enemy of perfect. And especially from a financial perspective, which is almost everything I write from, um, I don't really find like you know I have a high-level understanding. I can apply like you know the high-level understanding, or I guess a medium-level understanding, into like the how it matters in the ec economics of these companies and push something out. So if, if I had to say like my core, my core content, I don't really think it's extremely um, valuable part of my process. But if we're going to talk about like the deeper uh, technological primers, uh, probably one of the ones that I've done more recently, uh, uh, we'll, we'll skip the side time or the, the timer one, but I, I think the metrology one, oh my God, dude, metrology is freaking hard as hell. I read a textbook about metrology and I literally was like, I still don't feel like I understand anything. Talking to some of the engineers, so I talked to this one guy in particular and he really, really helped set me straight because I was like, hey, could you talk to me about TEV and like all this other stuff and like, you know, why, how does this work? I don't understand how, like what the heck is a backscattered electron? And he's like explaining these things that are like so obvious to him, but then he just says it and I'm like, Oh, that's exactly what you mean. Like, you know, like it's like, oh, that's how that works. It's like, oh, it's a heat. They use heat expansion coefficient to do the acoustics. I was like, duh. Like, but all this stuff is so insane um, that when you're like, when you're like reading it, you're like, okay, I understand. Like, I kind of understand what this means, but I really don't understand what this means and so like um but the thing is that that kind of conversation is very hard and usually the way that i found um to the the best way to do that is is the engineers at the conferences especially the marketing guys the marketing guys their their job is is communications right versus if you talk to an engineering guy uh, an engineering guy might be the best in the entire world as he, at his process step but he is he is working in, in in levels that are so arcane it's like hard to explain to you without data and models like like cuz cuz the semiconductor industry is like it's not image based or like there's no qualitative information anymore. We're past the we're past the minds of puny humans. Like we're it's you know it's like all data models and and things that like is truly hard to understand. So um, I I think it's like I, I think there's a lot of value in talking to people, especially when you go want to go to that like deep core foundational understanding. But for the most part, I would guess for the people who are listening to this podcast, uh, that's way past the the horizon of 
of what you need to know. Like, I, I, you know, uh, when I write when I write a primer like that, I, I truly feel like it's almost useless. If that makes sense, oftentimes it's mostly for me. Um, the, op, yeah. the like the optical the metrology primer. I just go back and refer to it over and over and over again because I forget. I forget, like, I can't hold that information in my mind. My working memory sucks. So, like, you know, I write this stuff, I learn about it, I kind of forget about it, and then I go back and refer to those primers over time. But, like, that, so that's, like, how I think about it. On, like, the day-to-day, hey, like, you know, getting getting content out or making, you know, making, like, high-level strategic stuff about, like, you know, any, any of my longer pieces that are about, like, industry structure or like stuff like that. I, I rarely talk to anyone about that. That is just applying common sense to what's going on right now. But if you wanted to do like, if you want to understand the core foundational technology, I think an engineer can really make things really click, but you have to find like the right person um, in the right space. And that's really rare. There's maybe only, you know, 20 to a hundred people who's able to do that. And you'll be really lucky that they live near you or you can meet up with them in person or if they like, you know, speak the same language as you. So it's, it's hard. So that's my thought. The Semiconductor Industry Association, the voice of America's semiconductor industry, is hiring for two policy roles. The first is a China-focused job where you'll be managing SIA's China policy and market analysis. This position requires strong Mandarin reading skills. The second will have you managing SIA's export control work, analyzing policy development, coordinating with member companies on a policy agenda, and advocating in front of the federal government. Both positions are looking for candidates with two to seven or more years of experience. For both positions, you'd be right in the vortex of the U.S.-China technology competition. SIA is a really sharp shop, and your boss, Jimmy Goodrich, I can say from many personal interactions over the years, would be a very pleasant person to work for who you would absolutely learn a ton from. Links for both roles are in the description. John, do you want to talk about Chinese language sources? What you found sort of a, like, what your search process mm-hmm. is? Are there any particular, like, that you trust or think are terrible? Um... How, how do you see this sort of like Chinese language coverage ecosystem? Uh, mainland, I have no idea. Like mainland, you go in there and you like, you have no idea what you're reading. You're reading something and it's like, can it be right? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Um, maybe you know. it's it's pretty iffy. Um, I think the fortunate thing is that uh, I've tried to read several technical papers in Chinese. And it's like a level of Chinese that I've never seen before. Fortunately, a lot of the companies do uh, do their presentations in English. Now they're speaking Chinese. My or speaking language is terrible. Like they'll speak in Chinese, but their um, slides will be in English, and they'll be able to kind of convey basic in English. There's there's a there's a really interesting article or interesting session that I attended during Semicon on Gallium Nitride. Just, it was just fun. And like I, you know, a number of people there from TSMC and various companies were presenting about gallium nitride and they spoke the whole thing in Chinese. And, you know, my Chinese is somewhat typical. It's like I can order some tofu and like that. But um, the, his Chinese, like the Chinese was there. It's like I'm listening to words I do not understand. They're sounds, but um, uh, they're, they're, they're sounds that seem comprehensive, but. And there's like a punchline and everyone laughs. So that's that's my experience learning Chinese in English. I think what you'll find is that much of the technical papers will be in English. I think the more interesting session is like Japanese. So if you're doing if you're trying to find technical papers for things that are being done in Japan, a lot of those will be in Japanese. And for that part, uh, Google Translate is sufficient. 
Um, I think the challenge is more kind of finding those papers and making sure they making sure you're you're searching for the right phrases and stuff like that. Uh, I guess the f honestly, it's American finance. It's it's English financials are bust, dude. I do follow. I do. I do uh, Google Translate for some of the the Chinese or like Japanese financials, but like at a certain size, if they don't have an English investor relations website, it's pretty much out of my 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 like first level skew. I will do some stuff when if I feel comfortable about like really understanding the company. Like a few of the companies that I maybe walked the floor at Semicon last year. Um, also, I want to go to Semicon East this year. I think I'm going to try to go and West. Uh, we'll see. Um, but uh, of the, like, you know, I start to do research. I like talk to the people. I'm like, oh, I understand what you do now. So it really helps when you like, if you actually understand the ecosystem and you're like, oh, these guys are CMP. They're like the number, they're the number two player, but all their financials are in Japanese or something. I don't think it really matters as much because it's like, you know, they do what they do. It's like a dog is a dog. Like the, you know, the, the attributes of the step they do and the, the drivers and all that stuff makes sense. But, um, that's, I, I guess that would be the, the, um, the time where that doesn't apply, if that makes sense. But for the most part, I think having a really strong industry ecosystem overview and then, um, trying to Google translate some stuff. And obviously if they have, uh, financials at all, I guess, as long as, you know, if you can translate the financials, you can learn a lot about the company, but in terms of like them giving you analysis or insight into like the inventory or the change or like how this business is changing, you're kind of, you're kind of out of luck on that. So that's how I, that's how I approach it. Um, and then, yeah. And oftentimes is if you talk to the competitors of the company, they'll tell you a lot about them as well. So that, that really helps because everything is context dependent. No one is um, truly doing anything alone in this industry. So, you know, there's probably an upstream or downstream supplier that understands them really well um, that you might be able to have a, sh a shot at, at talking to them in English. So that's usually how I approach it. I have this, uh, this weird, um, relationship towards what I'm proud of and what does well. I think there's actually an inverse relationship of things that I'm technically proud of. <laughs> and I think that is a very good like piece of work and how well it does. Um, I think one of the, the best thing I've ever written, I felt I wrote it in like two days. It was super offhanded. I was like, ah, I just got to get this out. You know, everyone knows this did amazing. Um, and that's like the tech monopolies go vertical. It's like essentially everything is becoming specialized and the tech companies are going to do it. I'm like, yeah, this is so obvious and so plain to me. This is just like rote writing something that's so plain for everyone to see. And then I did this like really nuanced piece about like, um, Cloudflare and egress and data center, like East first West traffic and all this stuff. And some people really appreciate it. Like the small minority is like, dude, this is amazing work. And then like 90% of them are just like, I don't understand what the hell you're saying at all. And I'm like, that sucks, man, because this is something that I'm really proud of. And I, and I think that's actually probably the hardest part about the content creation stuff is, um, it, it, knowing your audience and writing towards them or writing for yourself. And I think that writing for your, and I guess this is a pretty good segue into content creation, but writing for yourself is much more satisfying, sustainable. And I think that like, it's more true to you. And I think that in the long run, it accrues back. Like you, you know, you do pick up some really good true fans, if that makes sense. When you do stuff that you think is like truly good work and people see that because, um, you're going to do your best work when it's for yourself. But you also can't completely ignore your audience at all because um, that's really, you know, like the stuff that you know. There's some, there's times, 
where I'm like, I think this is going to do well. I know it's going to do well because it's the topic du jour. It's really like, you know, it's just on the pulse. It's on the zeitgeist. Like, of course people are going to watch this versus like the stuff that I'm interested in that that's like real research that I feel like is meaningful and like additive mm, never really does that well. That's my opinion. Yeah. I had a very weird experience with this a few weeks back. I've been translating stuff on China Talk for five years now and happened to translate Twitter thread, which was on Zeitgeist. It was very sort of used a lot of inflammatory language and um, it doubled my Twitter follower count from 20,000 to 40,000. Got me more media attention than I ever had and than I've ever had before in my life. A um, ton of sort of like, like uh, government officials reached out to me afterwards. Um, but I just translated something. It wasn't even my analysis. And like, I've been, and then like, I have, a, it's like, I just wrote this like 3000 word thing on export control, the future of the US China tech relationship that like, I'm really proud of. And like, spent a lot of time on, you know, lots of nights and weekends, like trying to bang that out and, you know, gets like 50 likes. And it's, it's a very weird psychological thing as someone who sort of like puts stuff out on the internet um where you sort of know that the things that you're like you you can't really know something is gonna go supernova um but i think you can get a sense that i think you do know when like you write a thing that's like a niche thing that it's not gonna blow up and um and and and, and it's frustrating it's it's but but I think it's like it's important sort of mentally to like remind yourself that like this is why you do this in the first place is like don't get like too like uh, you know don't like turn into a junkie um, for like the likes or retweets or uh, su subscriber count or whatever because like if you like the end of that game is like turning <laughs> into Logan Paul and it's not what I think any of us or any of the who listen to China talk who may be considering sort of putting their own stuff out on the internet are really trying to get into the, the whole point is to put out content that is sort of grounded, thoughtful, and um, kind of adds to an important conversation of China or technology. Or yeah, I agree with that. I think it's like the, unfortunately, the tough thing about YouTube is that like you directly get paid proportionally to how many views you get. So like sometimes you're looking at this and you're like, you know, I'm really proud of this video I did about Taiwan 7-Elevens from like 1970s onwards. And I found all these great sources, but I know not that many watch this, not many watch this, but you can have some of that. You can indulge yourself from time to time, but like eventually you gotta, you gotta like, you know, I pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe John in this space, I mean, like, doing like deep dives into semiconductors is not necessarily what people think about when they first think of YouTube. Um, so, you know, how, how have you tried to take this, you know, very tricky content and turn it into something hundreds of thousands of people are interested in? I think it's just like, it, reflecting on it, I'm like, it's kind of crazy, don't you think? Like, it's, I'm a person that has a somehow built an audience on making videos about something that most people never even directly interact with. I mean, they interact through their devices, but they come in through in a certain adjacent way. And now that this is something that's in the news a lot, and now you're talking about it all the time, 
I think the thing about YouTube that I think find most interesting is that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people kind of use YouTube as a way to learn things. And I think I'm really fascinated by a lot of people who come to me, who email me to say, yeah, because of you, I watched your videos. I'm really, really in this, this, I chose semiconductors as a career. Um, there's a large portion of that, which I think is really fascinating and also terrifying uh, somewhat. John, I think that's an amazing thing, by the way. Like, I, I know that, like, no one can, like, you know, I know it's a little terrifying that you're like, hey, I make, I help make someone make a big decision in their life, if it makes sense. And that's, and it's kind of like one to many and you don't really have any kind of stuff like that. But like, I, I, I do think that a lot of people in the semiconductor uh, industry or, or adjacent know that it's important, right? Like that's something that like one of the reasons why we keep coming back to it, even though it's this arcane technology that people don't interact with directly is it's really important. So I think that's really super important that you're helping people make that decision because we need more technology. Uh, you know, we need more talent anyway. Sorry, keep going. I just wanted to tell you that's, that's meaningful. Oh yeah. 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 And then there's a portion of people who are elders or fifties and sixties and they reach out to me saying, hey, you know, John, thanks for this video about, you know, LSI logic. And I really appreciate it. I used to work there in the 80s and I'm really happy. I like, I just want, thanks for helping me give some context about that. That's sort of, that's also really fulfilling to me. I mean, they're not those people. And I get to ask questions. There's one guy who apparently was like the CFO of some big company. And he's like telling me all these insane stories, which I can't repeat. Of like the old seventies and eighties days of being in the semiconductor industry, and I call that cynically nostalgia bait because some that's deliberately designed to work. Like that's my point. That's part of the YouTube channel. Like that's what the algorithm has done to me. But like, um, recognize that. Like at least I know that when some people watch it, they're enjoying something and kind of revisiting a part of their life that they find really important, and that's that's special too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if you're if you worked in Hollywood, like you can show your grandchildren the movies you were you you were in or you know, where the sound, right? It's like very different. When are you going to show your kid like a you know a computer from nineteen seventy nine? Like it's not going to resonate. Um, but so no, it's it, it's very cool, sort of being especially because this isn't a field that gets a lot of great books, um, and has a lot of good writing around. It. That's it's it, it's important to sort of, um be able to sort of memorialize and, and, and resurface this stuff, particularly because as Doug was saying earlier, like this is how you understand today is by understanding. Unfortunately, a lot of these are dead ends. Um, so like the tree of history, I guess has some ends there, but I mean, at least it's fun. It's a fun story. Um, that's, I think it's great yeah. to talk. I think it's meaningful. It's really, it's really, it can be really frustrating explaining to people why this matters, if it makes sense. Uh, oftentimes when I explain what I do, I say like the chips in your phone, like seriously, that's the only way people are like, oh, semiconductors, like, um, you know, it takes a little bit of, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, these semiconductors have um, truly underpinned a lot of the technological progress over the last 40 years, full stop, right? We are talking to each other through the internet. We're talking to each other through webcams and mics. Those are all, you know, that's a mix of analog and digital. Like this is all possible because of semiconductors. And like, obviously there's, you know, the things that are built on top of it are a lot easier to understand. It's like, oh, a, you know, a video conference thing or, oh, a podcast or these are distributed, whatever. But at the end of the day, whenever the core foundational magic of it all is that we could, uh, we could make it from, you know, 
digital to abstracted everything on top of it. And I think that's, that's like something beautiful and profound in my opinion. And I feel very strongly about that. Uh, and it's just like, that's something that I like to tell other people. Like they're like the core, what we've done with semiconductors and making information available to everyone. It's, it's like, it's really core magic. And I think that um, if people really understood and looked under the covers more, I think people would have that appreciation as well, how special it is. So that's, that's like my, you know, semiconductors are special moment, but I, I feel very strongly about that. And that's yeah. what helps me do my job at least. Dude, you, you want to know a really good book about this is Love that uh, uh, The Information by James Glick. Yeah, dude, he's really good. I like him. James Glick. But um, that book really made me like get more reverent about semiconductors because they talk about how like, you know, information theory, how we pr process information to each other, all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, now let's talk about semiconductors and how it's probably one of like the most like foundational information, like transfers of information, like pure information in our minds and like, you know, the, the thought of information into the physical world, right? Like that is where that is where that special link happens. And yeah, the sand thinking is just like, it, it's, it's beyond crazy. So I, I, yeah, I love it. That's what keeps me coming back. So, I mean, now that we had that like sort of mystical conversation, I feel bad asking you about like the Substack game, Doug. But uh, you know, thoughts, advice for folks about a newsletter, right? Uh, so probably first and foremost, be consistent. Uh, I think that's really important. Something that I realized over time is like in the past, how I viewed myself was a you know a buy side analyst i am some kind of hybrid from there i would say buy side analyst uh, or analyst x uh writer uh and you know there really is no way to to fake the fact that i'm writing every single week and i think that's really important um you the the more content you consistently put out the better you get um so writing more is always better try to have a schedule um and then don't let good be the enemy of perfect or perfect be the enemy of good rather sorry um that's 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 really what I think about, and um, yeah, I, I try to do a mix of of things that I know that are going to be on topic, if that makes sense. Like talking about the U.S. export controls, but I uh, I also personally very much think that um, my best work, wherever that is, is almost always following my north star and what gets me interested in things. So I just try to write for myself, think about um, my Substack as writing for me or perceiving, you know, like because I used to be a buy side analyst, so I just try to think about what I would do to write towards me in the past that I would find interesting, useful and value added. So that's, that's how I think about it. Um, that, I mean, I don't think that that's the perfect answer. There's actually, uh, if I've learned anything about the Substack game and talking to a lot of other Substackers, there's a lot of ways to cut, cut this cake, man. Like there's, there's many different business models, different business styles. Like, you know, someone, uh, you know, Liberty and, and my friend Kyler are doing um, tip-based sub-stacks, essentially, where it's completely free. So it disseminates as much as can. And it's literally like, hey, do you support this? Or China Talk, for example. Actually, China Talk was, um, I, I'm still, uh, was one of my first tip-based um, subscriptions. So, and then on the other hand, there's some people doing completely behind paywall, super high value research, crazy, crazy high ASPs. There, there's works for you. I think that like, at least my writing style or voice is definitely uh, telling someone something cool at a bar, 
maybe slightly tipsy that like that to me is like that is definitely like the the vibe i'm going for and i feel like it's the like the most explanatory i can be and the most like most receptive i think that's probably the right voice right like because you're not you don't want to be like I don't think anything super academic does really well on the internet. It should be like a casual conversation where you're trying to teach anyone who's just sitting there or something about something. So I think that's, that's definitely the, the tone I go for. Um, closing thoughts. I don't, I don't really know, man. I, I, semiconductors are cool. We got a lot of, I got a lot of work to do. I'm excited for John's work. I'm excited for Jordan's work. Um, it's a cool time to be following the industry. That's for sure. So that's my closing thoughts. Um, chip song. You get another shot at it. Doug, John, what do you got for me? Oh, Chip Song? Dude, oh my gosh, this again? <laughs> I don't have any... I'm, dude, I feel like we're going to have to like, you know, make a, a bad Fiverr video or something like this to, to sate your Chip Song. <laughs> Thanks for letting me be a part of China Talk, Doug and John. This is a real treat. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake And the science gets done and you make a neat gun For the people who are still alive I'm not even angry I'm being so sincere right Black Mesa That was a